1: This is Joshua Kelly,
0: running back for the Los Angeles
1: Chargers and future fantasy football star. You're listening to Curtis Patrick, the Dynasty Commander, on the Dynasty Command Center podcast. Hit it! What's up, everybody? This is Curtis Patrick, and this is the Dynasty Command Center podcast reboot. It's actually episode 53, but I'm toying with calling this episode one. I mean, we're kind of going back to the beginning. As you've listened to this show for over a year, uh, Travis May and I did 52 episodes together. Uh, We had a great partnership. He started his own podcast now, College to Canton. It's also on His Radio. Make sure you check that out. He really just wanted to dedicate all of his time to Debbie and college football, which is great. I think it's going to be great for Rotoviz. It's going to be great for us as listeners. I'm really looking forward to him involving Stefan Leko and Matt Wispy uh, more in that podcast. They have both already guested. I think it's going to be really uh, a really good change for Rotoviz Radio to have Debbie content year round on the airwaves. The reason it makes me excited is I can take the show in a little bit of a new direction. And you know, I, I think it's going to mostly be a solo show, but there's going to be times where you know I have opportunities to bring on just some of the best minds from around the industry, Rotoviz or otherwise, and really get into the nitty-gritty of of looking at the future of of Dynasty Leagues, looking at the future of of player values, picking their brain on on macro and micro strategies, and and having a chance really for me to even sharpen my skills. Um, And we can have some more long-form conversation um, and we can create some new relationships. And it's it's, uh, with that in mind that today I welcome... Sean Siegel, the Grand Poobah of Rotoviz, he's joining me today. Sean, thanks so much for coming on the show. I can't wait to uh, cut up Dynasty with you. What would you want the crowd to know about your appearance today?
3: I think it's just great to be on this particular show. I mean, this is the Dynasty show, so, um, I mean obviously we're biased a little bit with it being on on his radio but but I think this is the show and and to be able to be on the first one and especially I think with our our second special guest here it should be absolutely fantastic I won't give it away I'll let you give that but you know we're we're very excited about him and certainly with all of the the new tools that we have the rankings that we have what we're doing uh, with the box score scout the different Wide receiver and running back prospect labs. The things that you can do with the tools on the site are so cool, and have led to I think such interesting content that you know it's fun to get on here and talk about some of these things on the show.
1: Man, yeah, you you covered um, a bunch of Easter eggs from the site there, and I, I really do think that RotoViz is the, the destination site for Dynasty right now. Not just because of the tools, but also because of the people that we have writing. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm biased. I think you and I. are uh, are pretty solid in this department. We've got Sam Wallace, who has just been an absolute wonder candidate. I think he's put out like an average of 1.8 articles a week over the last year or something, Um, just just really crushing it. We've got uh, Jack Miller providing some analysis, Blair and uh, the wrong read. And I know that I'm definitely impacted by uh, the research analysis he does. Another person that would fall into that category for me is our other guest today. And I've played Dynasty with this individual for about uh, five years. We've had some good battles in various leagues. I'm going to start up with him right now um, in a philanthropic type uh, league that that he started up. He's been all over the industry. Um, we've watched him grow, you know, kind of from a, a frat style personality into literally one of the most respected uh, fantasy analysts on the planet. And uh, I'm very pleased to welcome Scott Barrett uh, to today's show. Scott recently um, left his his long post at, at Pro Football Focus for the Fantasy Point startup. And I've been so impressed with this site, the collection of individuals they have over there, the presentation of the site. I feel like the way that we think as brands uh, between Rotaviz and Fantasy Points, there's some overlap there, and that's really exciting. You know, and, and maybe we'll see some things develop there in the future. But Scott, welcome to the show. Uh, what would you want the audience to know about you?
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's Just that you can you can find uh, uh, our site at fantasypoints.com. But you know. I- I'm not going to make a dollar off this. I, you know, I'm going to promote my competition here. I was saying before the show, I think besides us, the best bang for your buck subscription site far and away is is Rotoviz.com. Uh, the two best dynasty players I've ever played against, and it's not close, is uh, Curtis Patrick and TJ Calkins. I, I finally got into a league with Sean Siegel, who I just think is is the goat fantasy analyst. GOAT, fantasy player, um, really maybe no one I look up to more. Uh, and then Mike Beers is just my favorite data guy. Everything I've learned, I've learned from him. And the tools you have on the site now, the, the expert uh, analysis from all the different analysts you have on staff, just just you guys are killing it. So, uh, But happy to be on this show with, with two guys I, I really respect and admire. Um, so thanks for having me on.
1: Man, that, that's great. Thanks for the overview. Thanks for the, the high praise. Before we get into any dynasty topics, I just want us to kind of get relaxed with each other a little bit. So we're just going to talk about some kind of some non-fancy football stuff here for a minute. You know, Obviously, we're in the middle of a kind of unprecedented time. And I think life looks a lot different than it did six months ago. It's starting to feel normal, unfortunately. Sean, like just what's a typical weekend look like for you in the quarantine era?
3: Well, I mean, I've always been a big reader and a big TV watcher. And so, those things fit in pretty well with what you have <laughs> to do right now. I, uh, I just going through the list of books from the last six months. I mean, I've I found that even with, you know, a ton of time with Rotoviz, and that's been one of the fun things is that when I mean, we can still do a lot of what we like to do uh, with the site and you know that dovetails pretty well, but even with all that time with Rotoviz, you know, I find myself reading a book a day a lot of the time and then, you know, blitzing through these, these shows and, I'm hoping to have an article out um, really kind of right up next to the season that gives my top 10 sleepers for the year. But the thing that hopefully will be a little bit fun about it is we'll have the top 10 uh, fantasy sleepers and then your top 10 sort of sleeper shows. If you have burned through everything and now you're pretty desperate to find something that might be fun to watch because I mean, everybody has those same you know top 25, top 50 shows that they are seeing everywhere. People are talking about on social media, different places. And if you've already watched those 50, which I mean, at this point, a lot of us have, then, you know, maybe you're looking for some deep stuff. So, you know, we'll get get into some of those. But, you know, I've, I've read some articles from people saying that, you know, the content is about to run out. That'll be good. That'll let people catch up. It's like, how have you not already caught up? In these <laughs> six months and We need some more stuff. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I love to read, love to, to watch the the different shows and and hopefully we'll have some fun content with that.
1: Scott, uh, what's a weekend look like for you these days?
2: Uh, A typical weekend. uh, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a workaholic. So I, I I had this problem where I just like working through weekends, but reached a compromise with my girlfriend where, okay, I can, I can go crazy and work my, you know, 10 hours plus during the week. And then weekends I'll, I'll spend time really try and relax with her, watch some TV. So We've been watching some TV, but uh, it's actually suppo- supposed to be Scott Barrett Day weekend. Uh, my birthday was on yeah. Thursday. I usually make a massive big deal about my my birthday where I go all out. My friends take off weeks and weeks in advance. You're going to rent out this cabin in the middle of nowhere, Texas, spend a, a day floating on the river, go to this wild uh, alligator farm. And uh, just because of COVID, we we couldn't do that that this year. So this is like the most boring Scott Barrett Day weekend uh, in a long time. But but luckily you guys have have helped make up for it because I'm super excited to be on this show talking to you.
1: Yeah, that's awesome, man. This was uh, this was a milestone year for you, right? That's right. Yeah, thirty. Thirty. Th- just a baby. Thirty and a baby. <laughs> how, how far in, how far in the rear view is thirty for for you, Sean? For me, it feels like. Uh... It, it, it's feeling like a fleeting memory. Um, that was that was two kids, uh, two master's degrees, two fantasy sites, and a bunch of other life experiences ago for me. So uh, I'm I'm 36. You know, I don't know if you're comfortable sharing your age, Sean.
3: Well, I'm a little bit older than that. I' thinking about 30. That was just when I quit uh, coaching college tennis. I coached. Uh, men and women at Emporia State University, a division II school there. Um, you know, between Kansas City and Wichita, people are not familiar with Emporia, Kansas. Uh, but stop that was was going in the direction of working on some novels. And both for the good and the bad, those novels have sort of transitioned into fantasy football. And you know, I don't think you can complain about that.
1: Let's get a couple other questions. Just super random, guys. I'm just throwing stuff at the wall here. Scott, you take any supplements or vitamins? I do not. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, what about you? I don't either. No, no vitamins. Oh my goodness. <laughs> God.
2: I mean, sometimes oh my it's, gosh. You know, oh I got yeah,
1: and You guys don't value your golden pea. I mean, um, so yeah, I, I mean I'm in, me in my mid here. mid mid to late 30s. Um, I've definitely been taking, you know, kind of like uh an age 35 and up men's multivitamin. I'm worried about maintaining my T levels. I'm worried about um, you know, having healthy uh cholesterol and, and blood pressure and all those types of things. I mean, I think diet and exercise really impact that. Um, yeah. Just
2: for those at home who don't know about Curtis, he's like, yeah, 35 years old, but he is the best in shape person. You know, I know bar none, the guy wakes up at 4 a.m., he he works out for two hours, then he you know spends a long day at work and then he plays with his kids. And then he's managed to find the time to write you know two fantasy articles on top of that. So anything you're doing, I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm going to start taking a 35 and up multivitamin <laughs> just to be like you, Curtis.
1: You'll be superhuman taking it five years early. Just think of all the uh, <laughs> pay it forward um, health benefits you'll have. I kind of get that drive from my dad. I, Scott, you know a little bit about him, but it's so my mm-hmm. dad's um, 64 and he's currently training to set the national bench press record in the 65 and up division. So he's got 12 months to wait for that. He's an absolute animal. So he's trying to he's mm-hmm. trying to cut weight. How many 64-year-olds are trying to cut weight to get in a weight class to to compete in anything? Mm-hmm. Um, but he he's gonna he's probably a year from December at 198, gonna be able to throw up 335 in a in a drug-tested powerlifting environment. So you know he's he's kind of an inspiration there. And I'm just trying to Trying to do him, him proud. Uh, Sean, is there any aspect of like personal health that you are into other than obviously you, you really take care of your brain, um, which is your most impressive muscle for sure. Um, what, what about, what about uh, you know, the, the rest of the health care picture for you?
3: Do you still play tennis, Sean? I do. Although, I mean, I, I was just getting back into it and, and playing a lot and it had been going uh, quite well. And then we have all of this and and you can maybe still play some tennis a little bit better than some of the other sports. But right now it's gotten so bad here in Arizona that definitely waiting a little bit longer to get out there and do some of those things. But yeah, I, I sort of tweaked my knee right before all of this happened and gave me a little chance to, to rehab that a little bit. So yeah, doing, you know, every other day, you know, the one day is running the other day, you do yoga, core, leg, arms, and they're relatively short workouts. By the time you put all four of those things together, it's a it's a good hour. So, you know, alternating those, and I did go for a couple months. Um, it seems like every six seven years, there's a, a need to cut a decent amount of weight off. So, I did have a couple months of uh, salad dinners here during the uh, during the <laughs> pandemic, and and that seemed to work. and And now I'm trying not to get back into the cookie dough too heavily
1: yeah yeah man i think the the order we get the the harder you gotta work just a little bit harder to to maintain forget forget getting ahead, so Scott, what's the nerdiest thing you're into besides fantasy football? Oh man, I, <laughs> I know I you're gonna don't know. have a good one I, you're gonna have a good one for sure.
2: I don't know. I, so I, I really try and limit that just because, you know, you know, my job is just being a professional nerd. I like Game of Thrones was going like crazy. Yeah. I was like, this is, I, I just can't get into it. Like dragons and whatever, like I'm already just too, too nerdy. I can't latch on to that as well. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess I'm a big, uh, a philosophy nerd, you know, hmm. read a lot of, read a lot of philosophy. A lot of the, you know, uh, I don't, watch too much tv outside of you know weekends with my girlfriend but i'll watch a lot of like lectures on marcus aurelius or nietzsche or young or uh, so i
1: guess i'd say that okay yeah so like you know if we're gonna say that being an intellectual was nerdy i guess that would that would qualify maybe maybe another way of uh posing the question would just be like you know do you have another like passion or hobby besides fantasy um, football? not necessarily nerdy
2: maybe uh so like Video games, like I, I just own one video game right now. It's it's Call of Duty, and that's it. But I'm just filthy at it. I just constantly <laughs> go like thirty five and three, or like eighty five and and five. Oh, wow. It's just, it's like an outdated game at this point. But like I'm, I, I can't play a video game unless I just I'm absolutely dominant at it, and I just keep playing. And I, I don't know. So I guess that's that's where I'm at.
1: We need to get you hooked up with like uh, Juju or somebody. I think uh, there's quite <laughs> a few NFL players that are. Um, renowned uh, gamers. Sean, any, any passions or hobbies for you besides fantasy football? Um, and obviously, you've already told us you're a big reader.
3: Yeah. And, and I think that one of the things that has always helped with the fantasy football is that I've always enjoyed uh, playing different types of games. I think that if you're a game player, it helps you with the fantasy football alumnus because beyond just player evaluation and it's not to to denigrate player evaluation, that's crucially important. I mean, you want to have certain types of guys, you know, you want to hit on the league winners every year. If you hit on league winners consistently, it's going to take away the necessity maybe for some structural advantages. But I I do think that, you know, especially in that say 2008 to 2013 time period where I was really playing huge volume before, you know, getting heavily involved with Rotoviz that all of the game playing really helped. And so, you know, there. prior to that time period, there was an opportunity to get, you know, more involved in a lot of the sort of the German board games that, um, you know, once you get past risk and some of those types of things get past settlers, then, I mean, there's a lot of really cool stuff there that, you know, it's interesting, it's fun to play. And then like the nerdiest thing I would say from that group um, is that, there is a game called HeroScape that actually has you know the sort of characters and then and the, uh, more of a three dimensional type of thing. You can set up your own board each time, and I mean that's has you know dragons and and all of those types as well.
1: I think that more people are into strategy games than maybe would would admit it, and I think there's a huge overlap with like sci-fi and the fantasy world. And those strategies and you know different abilities of, of characters and stuff like that. So yeah, thanks for for sharing that. I, I think probably the closest thing that I'm into that would maybe fit into that. Like, did you guys ever play like the civilization games? Um, so I, I'm I'm really into I've always been into that, like building an empire. That definitely I think has some overlap like with my role at Rotoviz and also just being in in uh, interested in fantasy, but anything where like you know, you start. You know, I've got like this log and now I'm going to like try to become the king of some, you know, uh, realm or whatever. But civilization, you basically pick like an ancient people type, like you can be um, the Egyptians or something like that. And so then they're, they have skills kind of like risk, but it's not only via military dominance. You can like win through cultural dominance. So like people actually leave their civilizations for yours because it's just so attractive. so stuff like that so I mean I think there's there's probably some overlap um, no wizards or anything in the game um, but it's definitely super nerdy in terms of like almost being like a second life kind of like simCity on steroids uh, for anybody maybe that played that game decades ago um okay so now an actual dynasty fantasy football question um, and we'll get really get into some of the topics for today. so Scott how many dynasty leagues are you actually managing right now and have you done any startups this year?
2: Uh, how many dynasty leagues am I in? I'm in 10 and I did, did maybe like at least five startups this year.
1: Okay. All right. So yeah, I mean, you got your finger on the pulse of it in terms of, uh, you know, sticky player values and then, you know, startups and probably, probably have done, well, I know I've done, I think two with, no, we've done three startups together, I think this year. Um, and some of them had rookies in it. Some of them had the rookie picks. I mean, I know you got your head around this, Sean, Um, uh, Some of our audience will know you and I did the the FFPC pros versus Joe's um, dynasty startup this year. But have you done any other startups?
3: Yeah, well, I was fortunate enough to have done several with you guys. And those were obviously very challenging. A lot of fun there. Um, And in terms of total leagues, you know, probably 13, 14. I think the kitchen sink leagues that Curtis, you and I are in are also very good for learning some other types of things, understanding how the auction will work and and auctions are very good for learning about player value as well. Not only how you value players, but how other people are going to value them. And we'll give you some insights even into trade value, maybe separately from what startups and drafts will do.
1: You know, you've got four year contracts and this other dynamic that exists in, in dynasty is what's the value of the production, that elite production this year versus, you know, maybe production that's going to fall off in subsequent years or, a player who we think is going to have an arc that doesn't peak till the end of that contract. And there's really so much overlap with how any, you know, any of the three of us would probably approach our, our dynasty rankings or or player value um, discussions. And so that's what we're really going to focus on. And the and the second, I guess, the second and third uh, pieces of the, the podcast before we get into any of these. Tactical questions. I uh, just want to share a great deal uh, with all the listeners today. And one of our, our corporate uh, partners for this episode is Deal Dash. Um, if you haven't heard of them, uh, you can find them at dealdash.com. It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things that you'd never expect at a price you never believe. So, you know, if you grew up on eBay uh, or were trolling Craigslist for a deal, you know, this is right up your alley. They've got over a thousand auctions every day. Electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, you can even buy a car. Uh, here's how it works it's like an auction, but every item starts at zero and it only goes up one cent every time you buy or every time you bid. The kicker is the auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, the whole room has 10 seconds to answer or the item's yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids on sign up on top of all their other discounts that you get for signing up. Go to dealdash.com and use the offer code bluewire or deal-fm bluewire. That's deal-fm bluewire. Let's let's kind of circle back to this idea of, of participating in startups this year. So, you know, 2020 season I think the range of outcomes of what could happen, I, I mean, it's literally, we could have no season or we could have 16 games at some point. Um, and anything in between, I think there's a reasonable argument for. So with that in mind, that this season could be totally lost, You know, have your dynasty player targets been impacted and startups? Let's start with you, Scott.
2: Well, with the exception of your league, Curtis, um, really try and go win later, really try and punt year one outright, uh, and, and really just trying to dominate three yard three years out and beyond um but yeah i've definitely taken on more of a punt this year for sure type of strategy uh and i think i think there's an edge there in a season amidst a pandemic where there might not even be a season i i do think that is uh, a significant edge where imagine there's no season this year like my punt this year team just you know we got our entry fees back uh the, the whole season was a wash all your guys are a year older uh, a year closer to retirement um, and then i'll just have more rookie picks and i'll be more competitive uh, so i do think there is a slight edge to be had there um, although uh, yeah I'm, I guess that's it
1: okay Sean so same same question are you approaching you know your player targets any differently as a, as a result of you know the unknowns with the 2020 season?
3: I'm probably not too much, and in, in part because that it fits pretty well with what I like to do, and that is to draft. And I, th- I mean, everybody wants to do this. I think to an extent that the key is like how far you're willing to push it in terms of drafting young players, drafting uh, first, second, third year players, and then in leagues that aren't startups, you know, consistently trading, you know, year three players, year four players. People who are considered to be peak players might be championship window players. If I have guys in that range that I can then turn over for multiple rookie picks, one of the things that happens in a lot of the leagues that I play in, I also trade my future picks. And that might seem counter to this idea, but I end up in most rookie drafts. And this year was a little bit harder, but in most rookie drafts with more picks than anyone else in the league, despite going into that draft with none and in order to do that you've got to be willing to trade veterans and not just older veterans because people don't want the old veterans right you've got to be willing to trade peak players and try and create so much value and so much trade value within your team that you can still trade guys and have a championship type of roster and really continue to just extend 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 in terms of the size
2: of your potential championship window so just to follow up there when you have like you think you're the favorite you've done this successfully. Are you still trading peak window players for rookie picks? And when are you do- making those trades? I oh, am. Yeah,
3: and partly it's that if, if you are hitting on a lot of your rookies and you also have to know that you're going to miss on some of your rookies. So sometimes in this reloading process, you know, you will lose a little bit of value. You've got to be willing to take those losses and continue to move on. But one of the guys, for example, this year that I have been trading away a lot and, and, it kills me to an extent because I think he's an absolutely fantastic player. I mean, I think that Austin Eckler is, it, you know, closer to Christian McCaffrey, maybe than people give him credit for. Now He's not that. I mean, McCaffrey really is, I mean, if we're going to look at people who are like Christian McCaffrey, I mean, you're talking about Marshall Falk. I mean, you're maybe talking about Barry Sanders in terms of overall ability, not necessarily fantasy wise, I mean, he's just so unusual but, I mean, Austin Eckler, if, if if Christian McCaffrey weren't in the league, then imagine what we would be saying about Austin Eckler right? and kind of the role that he's going into, the talent that he has. I mean, he's a fantastic athlete, right? I mean, he's a, he's a real star. And yet, with how much his value has increased, with the offensive situation there, with the fact that even though he's still very young, right, and he is very young, he is getting a little bit older, and you can – get a lot back and you can diversify your risk if you're willing to sell him. And so he's, he's an example of somebody I've been selling this year, even though he's one of my favorite players.
1: Yeah. I think that point with Eckler and, and we'll get into his value uh, toward the end of the episode. Cause we're actually going to go through a rankings exercise, but I think it's the type of player where if he doesn't take another step forward, like, you know, they're going to, they're going to push him back down the boards for somebody that maybe can take um, that next step. And I think, you know, even whether it's Justin Jackson or Joshua Kelly or you know a late camp signee or something, if another player comes in and takes like 80% of the vacated Melvin Gordon work, it's like it's gonna feel like an indictment on Eckler that he didn't take that on, even if he just reprises his role from last year, which was all the high value receiving touches and you know a reasonable amount of you know 10 zone, five zone work, that type of stuff. So I think that's a really interesting point. And I didn't hear you mention any of like the Uber elites. So Eckler would be like a new elite guy in terms of his production, but not in terms of like value. I don't see anybody saying Eckler's like a three first um, type uh, valuation. So um, I'm going to follow up Scott's question with another one. You know, would you consider trading people higher up the board? Let's say like, a, let's say like an Alvin Kamara or a Christian McCaffrey in a win now window. Would you consider trading either of those players or, or have you maybe?
3: I would. And, and I own a lot of McCaffrey, uh, simply because there was this tiny little window there after his rookie year where he wasn't quite as efficient that, that you could buy him. And, and I was lucky enough to, to buy him almost everywhere to where now I have the chance to sell him back in some places. I, I do think that he's one of those guys, and, and we're going to talk a little bit in the show in terms of do we think there are some people from this current running back group who might actually last a little bit longer who might get you know into maybe the second half of the 20s and score some points. I think if you're going to trade Christian McCaffrey, you've got to get an absolute ton. I've sent some some offers out and I've been trying to sell them to Ryan uh, in kitchen sink for a Camara And that trade never goes through. Uh, I, I think that you can sell those guys. A couple of examples of some people that I have sold and it worked for me, even though they continue to be very good. I sold Le'Veon Bell, who was somebody that we recommended at Roto-Biz as a must buy in his rookie draft. When, uh, you know, you go back and you look at his rookie draft and it's kind of hard to believe that he and DeAndre Hopkins were a little bit less expensive than some players who have no value now. So very heavy on those guys and then sold them after a couple of years. Obviously they've gone on to fantastic careers and, you know, they're individual leagues where you kind of want them back. But overall, in terms of what those trades brought back, it allowed that foundation and allowed, again, the sort of exploding trade value within the team as you continue to turn those guys over.
1: For me, um, you know, I'm going to answer the the question that I posed to you guys in terms of, you know, has my my startup strategy you know been impacted? Um, I, I would say that I've maybe pushed a little bit of youth up further within a tier um, than maybe I, I would have before. Um, I go back on this. I. I don't know that I'm, I've ever been locked in on it, but if I'm just looking at, you know, an, an interpositional tier of players. So like, you know, here, here's the guys that I've ranked, you know, 24 through 36 or whatever. You know, the mid prime guys or the guys just entering their prime typically are going to be the most valuable. But then what about the guys that are still in their prime, but on the back half of that? So like a, a receiver that's, you know, 28 or maybe entering is 29. How am I valuing him versus, you know, a, a really elite player coming off of a breakout rookie season. And and we want to try to project that forward. So like an Odell Beckham Jr. versus a, a DK Metcalf. Um, I think that's, I've really been thinking about that, especially with the wide receivers. I think it's a, it's a bigger topic. So, you know, this is a, a running back show, but I think I found myself just really questioning Terry McLaurin versus Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf versus Odell Beckham Jr. Those are the types of things that I've I've spent more time on than I anticipated during startup drafts and and I think I've I've probably played it both ways and um across I think I've done four startups and I, I think I've used both strategies. So we'll have to see which one ends up being the, you know, the right call and I probably won't know until after twenty twenty uh, when we see what these guys' values look like and, and we get the the bounce backs. But what about your established teams? So kind of same question. Are you managing your established teams any different because of the way that twenty twenty, you know, may or may not play out, Scott.
2: So I don't think I am. I I do think you just sort of subconsciously value youth a little bit more. If you are one of those teams that's sort of in the middle or on the cuff, I think you have a decision to make. I kind of don't like being those in the middle teams, as you've seen from the way I draft. It's sort of like I make a decision before the fact where I want to Position myself to be a top two, top three team that year, like far and away, or to be a team like well positioned to finish bottom three to secure a, a top pick, which, again, by the way, I do think this is a stacked rookie class. Uh, Jamar Chase, Travis Etienne, and then there's really three running backs I like. And the majority of the leagues I play are super flex, and the majority of the leagues I play are tight end premium. And this is, again, a really stacked. Uh, tight end, really stacked class overall. What I think is interesting is so much of uh, Sean's strategy revolves around trading. And so I've listened to him talk about his dynasty strategy on other podcasts. And it's, you know, uh, buy appreciating assets, sell at peak value, uh, at a profit, and then, you know, replenish the, the coffers with rookie picks and and sort of taking a win on that, and just keep doing that over and over again. I am I'm lazy. I hate dealing with with people. I hate making trades. It's just like these these idiots like aren't valuing guys correctly. Whatever. I, I just get frustrated and give up. Um, and so like uh, trading has very little impact on my overall philosophy. Yeah. Uh, so I I really don't have a great great answer there. But I I, I try and do make that decision in startup drafts that I don't have to rely too heavy on, on trades. I think
1: how many trades do you think you made in dynasty last year, Scott?
2: Uh, So I partnered with TJ Calkins on over half of my dynasty leagues. And like one of the biggest perks of having TJ is he is the greatest trader I've ever seen. And like, I'm so happy to just give that to TJ, (laughs) even if that means like having to draft some of his guys over my guys, uh, in the startup, it's just so worth it in the long run because he is just such a ridiculous trader. This guy, you know, you, he can sell snow to a Eskimo type of thing. And and I really like not having to deal with that. But but I did make a lot of trades. Uh, I, I'd appreciate you not bringing up one of the trades we made last year, which will haunt me. Uh, <laughs> you just like brought that. it up.
0: Well, you just uh,
1: brought
2: who, it up. <laughs> who brought it up? Yeah. Well, we, we can stop it there. Brutal, brutal trade.
1: Okay. Yeah. I think I, I would. I would. Very conservatively estimate that I made 70 to 80 Dynasty trades last year. Now, a lot of those probably oh occurred during rookie drafts, but I, I mean, I would say yeah. I average a half dozen trades per league per year. Uh, and I think last year I had like 13 Dynasty teams and I'm down to 11 um, this year. Every month I probably send at least one trade offer in every league I'm in. And in my most active leagues and in my most high dollar leagues, I probably try to send a trade a week. It's so, so and, important. Yeah. And, and I think you just, it's just about reminding people that the market still exists. So that way the rest of the league doesn't get lazy. And so this isn't even necessarily like a, a player, a player based strategy. It's just about keeping the market active. Like I, I think that trades, we get more trades because you know, you see that transaction come across the wire and now that those competitive juices get flowing. Well, okay, well this, this player just increased, you know, improved his team and now he's a contender this year and he wasn't before, And I'm in a win now situation. So, you know, an arms race, can you see other people participating in an arms race like that? And you are in one of these, you know, you've tried to punt in year one. Well, now any of the older discounted players that you did take just because they were a value in the startup, you know, maybe you're able to get a a future second or a future third or something like that for them. So I I really can't stress this overlaps with so many things in life. But I, I think you get out of a dynasty league. Generally, you get out of it what you put into it. And if, if you put put the energy in, I think it is infectious generally, especially if you're a positive person and don't shoot back with these like, what the hell were you thinking <laughs> type messages on on certain trade offers that come through? Just give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, they're probably trying to catch you asleep at the wheel or whatever, but just pour that positivity back out, that energy back out. It's probably gonna come back around to you. So all right. So for the listeners, we're going to project, we're actually gonna establish a consensus. Dynasty top twelve running back uh, positional ranking set. So this is going to be a really interesting exercise in t- trying to project value forward. And then we're going to talk about whether that should impact our rankings today. Does it make us want to change our rankings today with all of the uncertainties about the season? And does it make us, you know, feel compelled to go make a move uh, when we sign off the pod? But before we do that, I want to drop a line from Bet Online. They're other sponsor for today's show. Sports have been coming back. I don't know if you've you've noticed. Uh, Major League Baseball—it's um, been a little bit of a roller coaster—but the NHL and the NBA have had uh, a reasonable amount of success so far. And that means your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events those are back too. Um, as I mentioned, MLB kicked off this week. And there's no better place to start wagering than at Bet Online. You can check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on. It's available 24 seven. With the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players, including Eddie George, uh, one of my favorite Buckeyes of all time, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it will be like playing without fans in a series they're calling "Pandemic." Uh, you can check that out at BetOnline.ag, as well as all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive a new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline. They are your online wagering destination. All right, guys. So we've seen in a number of elite fantasy producing running backs get big second contracts. You know, obviously Christian McCaffrey comes to mind. Um, Derek Henry just got some cash. You know, we've got some other players who are waiting in the wings. Um, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. It's really got me thinking about could there be a secondary effect uh, or impact on dynasty valuation um, throughout the community if, if we have a wave of backs actually maintain production longer into their mid and late twenties, than we're typically accustomed to, um, you know, we, we, that used to be the case. I mean, go back into the early two thousands. I mean, you, we had elite running backs. I mean, it was, it was nothing to see a 28, 29 year old um, being elite fantasy producer, but that's almost like, you know, that's an extinct entity now. So um, if, you know, do you think any of these second contract or walkier backs will still be valued in dynasty ADP as RB ones uh, 12 months from now? I, I think we, we can all agree that McCaffrey and Elliot, both of whom have gotten deals uh, will be RB ones um, 12 months from now in ADP. I think we can all probably agree that Alvin Kamara will be there. Dalvin cooks, probably the first interesting name. He's got some injury history. Other backs have looked um, decent and that offense filling in for him you think there's any chance Dalvin Cook's not a dynasty running back one in ADP next year, Sean?
3: I, I definitely think there's a, a good chance of that. We look at running backs, and one of the things that you can do, you go into the dynasty ADP tool, you see how those declines happen. You can trust that with wide receivers. I mean, a 25-year-old running back is essentially a 27-year-old wide receiver in terms of how trade value is declining, and so you want to be aware of that as you're buying and selling. Now, in, in terms of Cook specifically, I think there's a ton of risk there, but I also love his upside. I'm a little bit higher on him, I think, than most people are. I think what he demonstrated in terms of the talent level and then how he fits within that offense, I mean, that's the offense where they're going to potentially get him this massive carry total, could have a huge touchdown total if the offense functions as well as they think. And at the same time, he adds a lot of receiving value. So if you're looking at a guy who – is outside of the McCaffrey Barkley range who could legitimately have one of those 25 point per game seasons and destroy leagues the way you know McCaffrey did last year and maybe even bump up to 26 27 then I think that he's the guy I think he's got a little bit more upside than Kamara Elliott so he's a guy that I actually have been drafting a lot Curtis you and I picked him uh, in our startup when he fell a little bit perhaps on Uh, contract issues which you know hopefully will get ironed out i like him a lot but like as is the case with any of the running backs when he's got a a lot of risk but McCaffrey and cook are the the two guys i own the most out of really that top
1: 10. i think the biggest concern for me with cook and i mean you you draw you drew a lot of attention to his upside there is once we get in that 25 year old range especially for players with kind of a checkered injury history I mean, if he were to if he were to go down, and I don't wish out on anyone, but if he were to go down, like let's say he had another knee or something this year, I think it would just absolutely destroy his value. But I don't have to squint very hard to see him falling out. I mean, Scott, is there a scenario where you see, let's say, a non-injury scenario where you can see Dalvin Cook falling out of the top twelve running backs next year?
2: Big thing is injuries, and but it's a big one. Just you know, we have an injury expert on staff. I know you guys have uh, Doctor Budoff there at Rotovis who does phenomenal work, but um, just the ACL tear that has a 20% chance of recurrence, the hamstring strains, 33%. Uh, and then the, the shoulder dislocations, uh, like a 50 plus percent chance of, of uh, re-dislocation. And that also might speak to some sort of, you know, uh, connective tissue dysfunction. Uh, but it, but like, that's just bad. And like, we know with running backs, you know, we it's not just that guys decline, but it's also they can just hit an absolute wall where they're just, you know, zero value. Look at what, what's happened to Todd Gurley. Look at Sony Michelle. Look at, uh, you know, plenty of guys, David Johnson. Um, and I, I do, running back overall, it's it's sort of my strategy. Like you've seen from the teams I draft where it's, okay, I want one of the high-end elite bell cows in a rookie contract or a, a, an absolute rookie this year, or I kind of just want to punt the position and then draft, you know, a Chris Carson or a Le'Veon Bell super late if I, if I want to be competitive.
1: So it sounds like we all have at least a little bit of skepticism in mind, but probably believe that if he stays healthy, he's still there. What about Derek Henry? I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to pose a question like with the opposite sentiment in mind here. Do you think there's any way he still is a top 12 running back, you know, next year in ADP Scott?
2: Yeah, I think there is one way, and that's uh, we see Ryan Tannehill's value skyrocket, and and Arthur Smith fielding head coaching jobs, and this offense really is the real deal. And you know, they were a you know eleven plus team win uh, in twenty twenty, where he you know dominates with good game script, or he starts finally. Seeing targets. And, you know, that's the big thing in fantasy and PPR leagues. A target is 2.74 times as valuable as a carry. Uh, looking at all of those numbers from 2019, it's like the most obvious, you know, bound to regress season in recent memory. Uh, he had less opportunities inside the five yard line than uh, Frank Gore, less red zone opportunities than Leonard Fournette, yet he scored 15 more touchdowns than both of them. Uh, just like massive, like, obvious regression candidate uh but at the same time you know he, he could coast on phenomenal game script uh and hyper efficiency or you know finally he sees receptions i i don't think either one of those is super likely i, I definitely do not have him in my top 12 um and uh, you know me i'm bell cow or bust, so i i sort of fade these one-dimensional running backs like a derrick henry all
1: right sean i'm gonna go to a different running back for you um and and he plays on a team, so he's he's one of these guys that's you know probably waiting on his on his deal. He saw his team just take the most prolific final year quarterback season in college football history. You know, we've we've talked a little bit about the Bengals' offense and the drafts that we've done together, and you know the upside that we see there out of Joe Burrow and some of those receivers. Um, but what about with Joe Mixon? If uh, double edged question here. So if he were to get a second contract in Cincinnati and be tied to Joe Burrow what would that do for his value in your mind? And then um, t- like today in the absence of that second contract, do you still see him in ADP, not in your personal value, but in ADP, do you still see him being in the top 12 next year?
3: I think he'll be there in ADP. He has, uh, he's younger. I think than maybe a lot of people realize because he came into the league very young. He has that uh, mixed, that hybrid profile. And if the Bengals can take a little bit of a step forward and do a little bit more what they did last year. One of the things that's, I think, odd and interesting about Mixon is that if he had the exact same season but you flipped the two halves, then his value would be completely different. And we know from looking back on how those things project out that the full season is what gives us the better look. And when you look at Mixon, he's gone through some other stretches, too, where he actually didn't look very good. And I I think that you can still make the argument that he is one of the more talented backs, but it's difficult to put him really in that, you know, top five, six, seven range in just pure talent. And I think, you know, what Scott said in terms of needing the right kinds of touches, you definitely have to have that to be a consistent top 10 dynasty running back. But I think you also... If you're going to hold someone more than one year as opposed to, you know, using them for what they have and then trying to continually churn the running backs and, and you just need to churn them so quickly. If you're going to hold on to someone, you need to think they're a huge, huge talent. And there are still some questions there with Mixon with how bad he has been at different stretches.
1: Yeah. But I, th- I think it's so like confounding the Bengals usage of, of Joe Mixon, given what his skill set is. I mean, we've even had, Uh, the GOAT Bill Belichick say, you know, that he might be the most talented um, running back overall in the league. But, you know, Ronald Jones ranges from being, you know, kind of an inside joke type player to being a player that has a lot of truthers. Um, But I think one thing that a lot of people can agree on is, at least when he came into the league, his receiving ability was in question. You know, he wasn't used a lot in that capacity in college. Yet, Ronald Jones versus Joe Mixon in 2019. Ronald Jones... (laughs) had more yards per touch, more yards per carry, more yards after contact per rushing attempt, more attempts per broken tackle, and then the keys, more yards per target and more yards per reception. Like, I would never have thought that from a player like Ronald Jones versus Joe Mixon, um, given how they're kind of viewed by the community at large. And that's what definitely gives me pause. Like, I think if Mixon, I think people are going to get frustrated if he doesn't have that breakout um, this season. I'm still holding out hope, really not a Mixon truther. But I think Joe Burrow is going to have an Andrew Luck type impact, and we're going to see the talent ooze through. There's just too much talent around him, I think, for him to fail, and I also just think he's good. So I am a little concerned that Mixon is a player with a a wide range of value outcomes, and if we don't play it right, we could find ourselves kind of feeling like we missed out. So he's definitely a player... That I'm putting some more thought into, and you know I'm glad to get your your thoughts on them. Do either of you think there's any chance Aaron Jones is a top twelve back in ADP next year? I mean, I'm definitely on Team Touchdown Regression, and and I question AJ Dillon selection in the second round. Either buddy, either of you want to make a case for him? Not in Green Bay. Oh, That's fair. Yeah, that's interesting. Maybe maybe like Drake, he ends up somewhere else. Sean. I-
3: you talked about this a little bit the other day on the ship chasing pod. And I just think that it, he is a big time talent, right? He's an explosive guy. He was explosive in college. He's been, you know, every time that Green Bay lets him, you know, play through uh, any big stretch and, and gives him good touches there. He, he looks like one of the best running backs in the NFL. Now, you know, we had an article. I, I did a little study again using the really cool stuff from the Dynasty ADP tool. And looking at the fact that when you have top 100 backs drafted on top of incumbents and what that does to their dynasty value, it just it crushes it, right? And it's one of those things where it's interesting because it crushes it regardless of whether or not the rookie coming in is actually successful you're getting not just the rookie competition but you're also getting some information in terms of maybe what the team thinks is going to happen going forward with their running back depth chart and so you know we need to take that into consideration there are some issues there but even with the touchdown regression Jones has a very very high ceiling and so I think that if you can get him at a discount because the people are looking specifically at that area, I would be tempted to do it. Now the problem for me is just, I almost exclusively have running backs lower than where they're going in terms of how they value them. So even if I have a guy jump up a little bit in terms of that, it can still be difficult for me to buy them, you know, on the market.
1: Yeah. I, you know, as you were talking through that, um, and it, and it really being more of a question of usage than talent, it does, it does kind of remind me of the Kenyon Drake situation, except, I think Jones, Jones's ascension has looked a little bit different. You know, Drake kind of gave us like, almost like what he did last year. He's given us you know stretches during seasons where he's looked elite, but has never really had that full time gig. And I think he has like a season season long like uh, PPR RB fourteen finish or something uh, under his belt. But you know, certainly you know that's a raw counting stat thing and not like a effectiveness over the course of the season. And Aaron Jones actually did give us like the season long spike because of the touchdown installation in Green Bay, I think I would totally agree there's no chance. But if he were to, if he were to change teams, uh, I could see people getting pretty excited. And I see Kenyon Drake as a borderline RB1, RB2 in most drafts that I do, uh, especially in the, the high stakes dynasty formats like FFPC. So I think that that's really interesting. The last guy that I'd mention would be Austin Eckler. We think by ADP, he will be in the top 12 next year. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, so this is this this is a great question. This is a topic, you know. Actually, Sean and I have, have talked about quite a bit, um, just I think in, in trade negotiations or, or earlier in the offseason. But uh, when he describes him as being McCaffrey like, I am in complete agreement. Uh, there are few players who have Christian McCaffrey's upside. It's like Saquon Barkley, Clyde edwards hilaire Alvin Kamara, and like not. Almost no one else, but like, look at what Eckler did last season when he was granted a bell cow workload when Melvin Gordon was amidst his holdout. Uh, He averaged the second most fantasy points per game behind only Christian McCaffrey, and it was damn close. And then Melvin Gordon came back, and he was still a top five fantasy running back. Again, he's another efficiency regression candidate, but he's also been one of the most hyper-efficient fantasy running backs three straight years. Him and Aaron Jones, literally the two most efficient, and by a good margin, just phenomenal players, and he gets the quality touches we were just talking about, the 2.74 times as much as a carry is is how much worth a target is, and we know he's locked into that role. And then, okay, someone comes in and gets 80% of Melvin Gordon's workload and the other 20% goes to Austin Eckler, that's a better workload than he saw last year. When again, you know, he smashed. He absolutely smashed. Um, the issue. I, I also am, am hammering the under on Los Angeles. So I think game script's going to be good for him. You know, the guy who's better uh, in the passing game. All this considered, though, I don't have him in my top twelve. It's damn close. It's damn close. But uh, he is going to be what twenty six or twenty seven years old next year. He is an undrafted free agent. We see, we've seen that matter uh, to coaches, Uh, you know, durability also matters to coaches. We don't know that they view him as uh, a durable guy. He's like jacked out of his mind, but who knows? Uh, Those are all my thoughts. This is a guy I've thought about quite a bit. And, and again, you know, Christian McCaffrey, definitely in his range of outcomes and love upside. So, so definitely a player I feel high on, but I also do like running backs in rookie contracts. Uh, He is on the older side, uh, but I'd like to hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah, so with with Eckler, um, the, the team is actually they've given us the answers to this already, which is um, what's so interesting to me. I mean, Anthony Lynn has not what he has said has been consistent, dating back to March, um, or, or whatever. Or it might have been April, whenever Melvin Gordon actually um, left the team, and you know they started talking pre-draft about you know wanting a player, a bigger player who could take on you know Melvin's role. They also started hinting that they would really like, to, and I think smartly, by the way, like to keep Eckler in the type of role that he had last year and to, to maximize his uh, effectiveness by counting on you know efficiency, getting him on the edge and not like trying to have him transition into some sort of between the guards pounder, which I, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. And for fantasy, we wouldn't really want that anyway. It just increases risk of injury. And, you know, those are lower value touches anyway. Let somebody else soak those up. So they started talking about that. Then actually, at the draft, he is on record saying we need a guy to go with Austin. We need to get somebody to take these Melvin Gordon touches, and then they take Joshua Kelly, who's you know almost 220 pounds, uh, 15 pounds heavier uh, than Eckler, and 20 pounds heavier than than Justin Jackson. And so I, I think Joshua Kelly is going to take some of that Melvin Gordon stuff, but it, I think it comes down to how good do you think Melvin Gordon is, because if you think Melvin Gordon is a marginal talent who Coasted on his opportunity, which I've heard that argument made, and if you look at some of his efficiency stats, there's probably a good case for that. Then Joshua Kelly can probably approximate Gordon's usage, and I think that dynamic occurring will hurt Austin Eckler's dynasty value, even if he repeats, even if he, even if he repeats a role like he had last year. The other worry I have about Eckler is the long touchdowns. They're so noisy year to year to year, and I mean he had a couple fifty plus yard receptions, and I think he housed more of a downside for Eckler. Um, but I also think that he's going to continue to have the receiving work that will keep him in that uh, running back one picture for ADP. It, I think the big dynamic we're going to have to look at is, you know, once the rookie draft capital is solved for in the 21, uh, 2021 class, will he be able to withstand, uh, you know, another wave of rookies coming in? And, and that's a good transition into the the final part of this exercise. So we've talked a lot about, has our startup strategy changed? Has our, our player management changed? How are we viewing, you know, these kind of mid career backs that have more relative safety versus the last five years because they've gotten some of these big second year deals. But let's fast forward for the listeners. What does it look like in February 2021? Because if you're not, if you're in a spot where you believe that your team is strong enough, that requisite running back one production is enough to get you to the title, and you don't actually have to have Christian McCaffrey or whoever ends up being the running back one this year in order to win the title, you have to start thinking about, like Sean mentioned earlier in the episode, trading the guys maybe when you're just a little uncomfortable. And a lot of these guys are 25 years old, 26 years old. Each of us submitted our top 12 backs um, if we're trying to forecast you know, what February 2021 would look like. I'm going to try to share my screen now with Scott and Sean. They are seeing this for the first time, but here's Here's what it looks like. Christian McCaffrey at, at one. He's not even a consensus. I've actually bumped him down to two in favor of Barkley. Uh, looking forward to next year. But uh, Mc- how dare you? Hey, hey, I'm, hey we, we're talking multiple years. And, and I actually, the reason for this, and this is going to be the really fun part of the show. We're going to get into some little debates here, I think. I, I'm definitely a Jason Garrett offensive design believer as it pertains to fantasy production. And I think Jason Garrett's going to be great for the New York Giants offense. He's going to be great for Daniel Jones. And that's going to that's going to cause us to have a bounce back year for Barkley. If Barkley, you know, Barkley's season last year was, was weird. He played through a high ankle sprain, came back really quick from that. It was just such a weird season. You know, they didn't have healthy receivers or healthy tight ends. And, you know, I, I think he certainly could approximate McCaffrey's production this year. And if he does... Why wouldn't you take the younger player in terms of of your rankings? And I I believe strongly that that's what's going to happen. I don't think McCaffrey can come anywhere close to his production from last year. I think he's still the in-house favorite to be the running back one this year. But I think he scores something like 70 to 80 fewer PPR points. And that's going to look a lot different. It's going to allow some of these other players to be in his range. So Scott and Sean have him one. I have him two. Bar- I, by the way, yeah. I
2: think I think Garrett's actually a big downgrade from Pat Shermer.
1: Yeah, that but that's interesting. Are- I've always hated Pat Shermer, probably as a damaged Cleveland Browns fan uh, for a short stay that he that he did in Cleveland. And uh, so I, I'm sure you'll have something to say about Shermer's impact uh, in Denver. And maybe that means you're you're a redraft believer in Melvin Gordon. But yeah, so, so differences of opinion, and that I mean that's that's great. That's what's great about this. We've got two to one uh, CMC over Barkley, and then of course Barkley's number two. Uh, with scott and sean both having him uh second and me having him first sean any comments about cmc versus barkley
3: well you had mentioned and and one of the things talking about a little bit can any of these guys have that sort of second half of their 20s production and you mentioned that it used to happen if you go back and look at marshall falk ladini and tomlinson absolutely monster seasons as 27 and 28 year olds and i think that with the way the NFL works right now, I mean, it's it's much more difficult to do that. You have some of the guys who have lasted for a long time, but then you go back and you find it. Like, When's the last time I would have really wanted to own them? And you, and you see that even though they're still in the league, they're still getting touches, you wouldn't have wanted to own them through that stretch. I think if there's going to be a guy who has that type of just, you know, record-breaking or league-crushing, you know, 30% win rate type of season, when they're 27, 28, I think it's going to be McCaffrey. And so, I mean, he's the one guy and, and this is always the thing. We always say, Oh, well, you know, Patrick Mahomes had a monster year. I'm, this would be the one time I drafted quarterback earlier. Lamar Jackson had a huge year. It's the one time I drafted quarterback early. Those things tend not to work out, you know, so there are certainly reasons why, and and you've mentioned them, why McCaffrey won't work out the value that he gives you. And this is one of the things that we talk about too, in terms of, you know, when would you pivot from zero running back? And, The the times that you have pivot is someone gives you such a huge advantage that it destroys the rest of your league. I think McCaffrey is that guy.
1: Yeah, that's and we're splitting the finest of hairs here, obviously. But I think it's it is it's an important decision to make because if you do own McCaffrey and you don't think he's the number, you know, you don't have him ranked as your number one, or you think there's some way that he um, really comes back to earth and and is caught by some of these younger guys. You know, this would be one of those years where, you know, maybe you trade them one year early, but in the long run, it's what's best for for your dynasty team. And then and just kind of play off Sean's comment there, just because a player continues to produce doesn't mean that that's reflected in their dynasty value. And that's why dynasty is so it's so interesting and unique. You know that what happens on the field and what happens with player value? I mean, those are mutually exclusive things. It's almost, you know, Scott, I know you're a big finance guy and we've had um, talks about this before, but the market isn't actually necessarily reflective of a business's performance um, and markets its own in- entity. And so that that's kind of the dynamic that I'm looking at. I mean, there's just a slight amount of forecasting for me on, on McCaffrey and Barkley, basically saying that I think they're equivalent players uh, from here on out. And so I'll, I'll give the age tiebreaker to, uh, to Saquon. What's really fun here is, is the running back three, perhaps the biggest news break of this past week has been Damian Williams um, opting out of the 2020 season and both Scott Barrett and I have Clyde Edwards Eilaire as our number three back for February 2021. Sean also has him as a top half of the top 12, uh, at number six. And you know, our composite score on him, 4.0, gives him the third best rank. So um, Scott, you've you've talked about Edwards E'Laire and in particular about Andy Reid's running backs more than probably anyone in the industry. I really think you're the you're the go-to resource on Andy read backs. And you know, I just don't know if there's anything that you would want to share about Edwards Hilaire as a prospect or his fit in the offense, or just about Reed and the Chiefs in general, to why you have him so high in your rankings here.
2: Yeah, I mean, this just it, it's a million different things with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He just set the SEC record for most receptions by a running back. I watched the Uh, post-draft press conference and they were just so absolutely pleased with themselves. Andy Reid, Brett Veach, you know, sort of feet up on the desk, cigar in hand, swirling cognac, just laughing (laughs) maniacally over how happy they were. They knew before the draft started, this was the guy they were going to draft. Patrick Mahomes wanted this guy, asked for this guy specifically. Uh, They called him, you know, a perennial Pro Bowl running back in a featured uh, role like they had with Jamal Charles. They uh, compared him to Brian Westbrook. No, no, no. Wait. They said he was going to be better than Brian Westbrook. They compared him to Christian McCaffrey. Remember, Brian Westbrook in his prime with Andy Reid was the only guy coming anywhere close to Ladainian Tomlinson, just absolutely putting up really Christian McCaffrey like numbers, which we haven't seen outside of McCaffrey uh, and and I guess Bell Peak Bell in a really long time. Uh, yeah, Andy Reid is like the running back goat. So he, he's had a, a, a running back finish top eight in fantasy points per game, 75% of the time uh, over the past 15 seasons. Uh, Damian Williams, when he's played on at least 60% of Kansas city snaps over the last 11 games, Damian Williams averaged 25 fantasy points per game across 11 games. Guess what? Clyde Edwards Hilaire is better than Damian Williams. He's going to see well more than 60% of the snaps. This is the greatest offense in a long time, uh, in, in maybe the history of football tethered to Patrick Mahomes for the entirety of his rookie contract, uh, tethered to Andy Reid, It's just like an absolute home run slam dunk play for me. He's, he's the youngest guy of the, the people we've mentioned thus far. Um, yeah, I feel great
1: about it. I feel like I need to move him to number one after that. Um, after all of the supporting documentation that you gave there. So um, Sean, you're you're obviously also very high on him. I know you're, I guess, spoil one of your other ranks here. You've got Dalvin Cook at three. What gives you pause on Edward Solaire versus Cook in that kind of head-to-head evaluation?
3: I think it's it's mostly confidence in those three guys who are in between. I, I think we could have, we talked a little bit about the big season. I think that Cook could have Kamara, someone who... he's someone else with those sort of nagging injuries that have knocked down what might've been even much more spectacular performances there. The saints have a big season offensively and he goes on the type of Aaron Jones touchdown scoring spree that we saw last year. Then, I mean, those guys are going to score so many points. I think that's going to carry over into their dynasty valuations, into their trade valuations and Miles Sanders, someone I think that we could see as having some of those Edwards Alaire types of qualities, but is a year further along. And so if people are targeting, and really with the running backs, we do want to be targeting this current season, or it's, it's the current season or the trade value. And those are the two things that you're looking at in terms of, of what you want to do with your playing or trading the people. And so it's not so much selling Edwards Alaire as really liking those other three guys. Although if there is a concern that I have, it's probably emotional in that, you know, you talked about me not moving him up because he was a Chiefs guy. I think there's still – I've come around to it. I think he's going to have a great career. I think he's going to be a perfect fit for the offense. All of those things that Scott said, 100% true. I'm still getting over the fact that they didn't take Jonathan Taylor.
1: Yeah, that that hurts. I mean, we we both love Taylor so much. And, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, we're the only Jonathan Taylor guys. Obviously, there's a lot of fans. It does stink when you can't just, you know, we put so much effort into evaluating these guys. And then if you could just, it, when they're drafted in the same range, they just don't land where you wanted them to land. I mean, I think Taylor is like Adrian Peterson that also gets 75 targets or something. Uh, if he lands in in Kansas city and he's, he's like a surefire hall of famer and it, it just sucks. I mean, I'm sure he's going to be great in Indy, but um, that that's an interesting comment. We're obviously going to talk about Taylor as part of our top 12, but um, so just to remind the listeners, we've got McCaffrey one, Barkley two, Clyde Edwards Hilaire at three, Alvin Kamara is four. Um, we were all pretty consistent in a range here, um, with me having him five, Scott and Sean also having him four, and then Miles Sanders is the the inverse, where I've got him fourth and Scott and Sean have him him fifth. I kind of view them as equivalent equivalent assets and give the age tiebreaker to Sanders is, is really all I was thinking about here. Obviously we have to project his usage a little bit and put a little bit of faith that rational coaching um, will be in place this season in order to move him above Camara. But when I think about um, the lack of the contract um, from new Orleans yet um, age 25 versus age 22 and a player who showed us, he could obviously um, give us Camara like production when he, when he gets to the volume, um, those are the tiebreakers for me. I want to play you guys a clip from uh, running backs coach and assistant head coach in Philly, Deuce Staley, and then we're going to talk about Kamara versus Sanders. I think it's an interesting debate. I'm excited about him handling the full load. I don't see Miles as a guy that you have to monitor his touches. 15 here, maybe 15 rushes, five passes, no. I don't see him that way. I think you put him in and you let him go. So that that's from this past week. That's not pre-draft. It's that's from this past week. And um, we've never heard any Philly coach talk like this. Doug Peterson has always tried to be pretty metered in his comments about his backs, even when he's had um, guys that we liked. And I think this is pretty exciting, but obviously it could just be lip service. So um, what, what you know, what are those comments spark in, in your minds? And does it have any impact on your ranking of Kamara versus Miles Sanders? Scott, you first.
2: Uh, an issue with Kamara is, you know, he, he's never going to see, you know, 80 plus percent of the snaps. I I, I can't see that happening. I think Latavius Murray is going to have a sort of role uh, where Miles Sanders, based on these comments, certainly could. Uh, that was probably my biggest miss this offseason was was fading Sanders because I I did think Doug Peterson would go back to his RBBC ways. Well, he's he's never had a running back like Miles Sanders. Okay, true, except for last year when he had Miles Sanders and he still gave Boston Scott a legitimate role down the stretch. And then Sanders got hurt, which maybe you know gave more reason to expect a B- RBBC. But no, I, this is enough for me. I, I'm going to move him up. I, I think this is a great offense to be in. Uh, I, I think. Carson Wentz and the Eagles are going to take a big step forward with all the receivers healthy. Um, we've seen, you know, much lesser backs absolutely smash in this offense. It, we, we saw him get a nice role as a receiver, so the target should be there. I, I think, you know, number five is, is exactly where he should be.
1: Great. What about you, Sean? Some comments on Alvin Kamara and Miles Sanders.
2: I, I, I'm almost exactly
3: in the same situation where I just think, Uh, Camara is that good and has demonstrated these that good over, you know, a long enough period of time that you're, you're talking about a lot of big plays. You're talking about a lot of receptions. You're talking about a lot of touchdowns. However, I did acquire Sanders in a dynasty league this last week, where I traded DJ Moore, and you know followers of the site will know that we have consistently been sort of way above the community on DJ Moore, and and you know luckily for us at, to this point that has has panned out pretty well. It's difficult uh, to give up someone like Moore in a dynasty league where you know he could have eight ten more very very good seasons. It, in terms of of where I am on Sanders, to have given him up, I, I think is not just you know where the rankings are but in terms of actual leagues what i'm doing you know sanders is a guy that i want he's someone i would put in there i think everybody knows you know probably the most famous fantasy article from this season and and obviously a fantasy article that went about discussing upside which i think everybody's interested everybody cares about everybody wants for their team and did it in a an interesting way i think allowed people to think about it in a variety of different terms that they maybe hadn't before so this idea of upside and dynasty running backs.
2: Yeah, so I, I'm a very zero RB drafter in dynasty, and, and like I said, I don't love trading so much. So I, I kind of go that route in in my startup drafts, where I will you know go out of my way to target a Clyde edwards Hilaire, you know, one of these top seven running backs we're talking about but then after that I really want almost nothing to do with the position for for quite some time where I want an absolute rookie who I see as having this massive upside and and what is that upside it's I want an every down player who is going to be used in uh every facet of the game as a receiver as a runner uh, again you know you you need to have that potential of seeing you know 70 plus targets because receiving is just so valuable in ppr league and if i can't get one of those guys i'm fully uh, content with you know drafting if i want to be competitive like a like a james connor like super super late whoever like the the cheapest bell cow is going to be like just a one or two year rental but but more typically I'll just go with like a James White soup, super late and just like, whatever that's my RB two. screw it. Um, but, uh, But yeah, so, so absolutely like it, I don't want one of these committee running backs and we could segue into Jonathan Taylor, which I think is like the perfect way to talk about it. This is a guy who, you know, we all three of us agree. We think is like immediately one of the five best pure rushers in the NFL as a rookie right now but what is his past catching upside? It, what is his upside uh, in a three-way right now running back by committee situation with Marlon Mack, and then Naheem Hines siphoning off targets, and then, okay, next year, Marlon Mack's not, no, no longer there. That's great. He's going to have the early down work, but, but what does that mean? It's the same thing we were saying with Derek Henry, where you know a guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you start him every single week, you know he's going to put up he has a high floor, a high ceiling, a high expectation, pretty predictable production. Whereas someone like Derrick Henry, like he's going to average nine more fantasy points per game and victories than as opposed to losses. He's going to be very game script sensitive. What if Philip Rivers is just cooked? What if he's just done his arm? You know, has has nothing left in the tanks, and then they're trotting out you know some scrub rookie the year after that who, who doesn't pan out. So like he is so tethered to the success of the offense as a whole, also game script, you you know, having a lead because once you, you start trailing, you go pass heavy and then Naheem Hines is going to come in. Uh, so, so that's really the concern. Um, and again, that is what I look for when I talk about upside it's in that article, we talked about the power law distribution, the Pareto principle, how league winners, it's not teams that, you know, uh, Draft a bunch of ADP beaters. It's the team teams that have the few select guys in terms of win percentage. Uh, a team with Christian McCaffrey uh, and without the uh, the RB two and RB three last year. I think that was like Dalvin Cook. Or, or teams with Dalvin Cook plus either Derek Henry or Aaron Jones. Had a a worse win rate than teams that had just Christian McCaffrey and none of the other three running backs I just mentioned. It's just like so insane just how top heavy, you know, uh, uh, that distribution is. And uh, the Christian McCaffreys of the world, like super super upside. Does Derrick Henry have that upside? Everything needs to break his way. He needs game script. He needs hyper efficiency. He needs that. So uh, again every down bell cows is is what I target with the the running back position and age too, you know, it's a declining asset far more so than the other position. So I do like getting these guys in their rookie contracts or drafting them in the rookie draft, as opposed to trading for them or, or drafting them in the startup.
1: So uh, with Jonathan Taylor kind of fitting into that back by committee and probably not projecting as a rookie for the type of bell cow usage that you're talking about there, Scott, That caps his relative upside. The player that we skipped over here is Dalvin Cook. We agree less on Dalvin Cook than all but one other player in the top 12. So Cook um, comes out to the RB6, McCaffrey, Barkley, Edwards, Hilaire, Camara, Sanders, and now we're at Dalvin Cook. I've got Dalvin Cook at nine. Scott's got him at seven. Sean's got him at three. Sean's already talked a, a lot about Dalvin Cook. I really, we've probably talked about no player more than him in this pod um, so far, but I think our lack of agreement, is, if anything else, is probably some signal about what might happen with his ADP. I'm pretty sure Sean's rankings definitely going to be above Dalvin Cook's ADP next year. Um, that would probably be my takeaway. And Scott, I mean, you being in the middle of us, he's at RB7 in, in February 2021. You're probably talking about a player who's still a top 16 dynasty pick depending on how some of these rookies come in and shake things up this year. I think he's going to maintain value. I think if you look at our top six running backs, that's probably the full list of players who have running back one upside in 2020 that you don't have to make up crazy stories to see. Like, I I really think that, you know, McCaffrey's the in-house favorite, but Barkley, Edwards, E. Camara, Sanders, Cook – I, could, I mean, I could see it happening. I guess it, it would be surprising, but I could see it happening for any of those other five guys. Taylor, we have at seven. A scenario for Taylor on down on our list to actually finish as the overall RB1.
3: For Taylor, I, I think for me, the it, it goes back to that issue of talent. And I think that he has so much that I think if there's a guy to risk it on, and, and you can look at this and there are concerns that maybe we're not applying all of these criteria consistently, because if you look at who's the best pure early down running back in the NFL, I mean, it's probably Nick Chubb, right? And because of the different things we've talked about in the role, there's just no way that he can be, you know, even really in that top 10 in terms of where you are dynasty ADP wise. We talked about some of the concerns that, Uh, Aaron Jones has I think that Nick Chubb is in at least as bad a situation if not worse in terms of the different things that he's dealing with but yet you know we are willing to say Jonathan Taylor we have him higher he's a little bit younger Nick Chubb obviously still very young but if Taylor is a Barkley like talent even if we think there are some real concerns about the pass catching role I think all three of us want to see it play out we're willing to have some ownership of it to see it play out And his athleticism is so crazy. His ability to break big plays is so crazy that he would be one of those guys where I think that developing a little bit more receiving ability or receiving use at the NFL level is possible. And then you look at the Colts. I mean, I love Hines. He's someone I own on almost every team. And yet it's not like they used him a ton last year or have done something to where you're thinking, oh, Hines is definitely going to stand in the way. I mean, if you told us that Hines is going to stand in the way of Saquon Barkley, people would be like, well, that's, I mean, that's ludicrous. Now, again, they're different players. But with Taylor, I think our bet on talent makes some sense, especially in this range where he's outside the top five.
1: Even if you take Frank Reich's statements about Hines at face value, where he says, he could get 10 targets a game this year. And we love how Phillip Rivers used Austin Eckler. And we see some of those um, same traits in Hines. And even if you give Hines full credit for having over 100 receptions in his first two seasons in the NFL, Naheem Hines is still not Cream Hunt. And so I, I think that is, that's an important. And, and Naheem Hines is also not Austin Eckler. Compare their, their first couple seasons of seasons in the NFL, and that's also very apparent. So, you know, if, if we want to say, you know, Indianapolis looks like some sort of redux version of the Los Angeles Chargers where Taylor might be in a Gordon role and Hines might be in an Eckler role. If Taylor gives us Gordon-like production as a, a rookie, I think we'll all be salivating. So um, I, I'm with you there, and I think your argument makes perfect sense. It's like we don't want to limit our exposure because we saw what happened with Nick Chubb once he did break out. Nick Chubb had a huge value spike um, after last season. Now he cooled off a little bit. You know, one of the sites that does year-round dynasty ADP studies is Dynasty League Football. Our buddy Ryan McDowell over there does these mock drafts through the season, so we don't lose all this data. And Chubb did start to fall off as Hunt came in in the second half of the season and started to corral some of this receiving work. But before that, I mean, he had spiked all the way up. You had some rankers putting him as high as RB three, respected rankers in their in their ranking sets, putting him over Ezekiel Elliott, et cetera. And I think that's the dynamic we'll see with Jonathan Taylor. And so, it's something you're trying to do with your rankings is position players in a way that gives you exposure to players who are going to have a value spike um, either because you believe that that value spike is based on production that will be sustained into the future or just to sell at that point and, and rake your profits. So with Chubb, I don't think any of us feel strongly that, you know, he can revert to pre week nine, pre week 10 production in Cleveland this year um, or it'd be an upset if he did just because of the talent of Kareem Kareem hunt. It's okay to me to have some desynchrony with how we're ranking Taylor versus Chubb, even though you can make some arguments that there's similarities as prospects. Their their team situations and the age tiebreakers, I think, are enough for me to say, all right, I'm willing to put Taylor as a mid-RB1 um, and leave Chubb out of my projected top 12. Uh, Scott, you have any comments on that?
2: Yeah, so actually one of the leagues we were in together... Uh, Jonathan Taylor went in the first round of the startup and Clyde Edwards there went in round eight. Uh, but I just want to remind everyone why that, why that is uh, Jonathan Taylor really a, a generational prospect. So all time NCAA leaders and yards from scrimmage per season among all power five running backs, Jonathan Taylor was number one. And on that list, was Herschel Walker, Ricky Williams, Dalvin Cook, Ray Rice, Christian McCaffrey, J.K. Dobbins, Saquon Barkley, really a who's who, and Jonathan Taylor, over 200 more than the next closest running back, so really elite player. My issue with him was... His last two years at Wisconsin, they were like, oh, we're spending so much time uh, with him running routes an hour before every practice just dedica- dedicated to Jonathan Taylor, and an hour after practice watching tape on the best pass-catching running backs in the NFL. He's going to catch 50 balls this year. He's going to catch 50 balls this year. Each of the last two seasons, they said that, and that never materialized, which which does make me a little nervous uh, with regard to his pass-catching upside. It might be a little lower than we think a little more tapped out than we think. What was the other point you were trying to make? Oh, oh we were talking about Nick Chubb. Yeah. I, so you, you, when you said this to me, you said make your February rankings, but I'm wondering a situation where uh, in March it's just, you know, Kareem hunt is no longer yeah. uh, in the picture. Does that mean Nick Chubb? It should be a top 12. I mean, it could be if he's going to get past catching work, but also could Kareem hunt, be a top 12 running back? Like what, what are the teams where, where that could be a possibility? I, I don't know. It's it's a really good running back class next year, but I, I think that's something we could we would have to think about as well, though it might seem crazy right now.
1: Yeah, I think there's a non-zero chance that Hunt's in my top 12 by like April next year. I mean, if he gets a situation like Kenyon Drake where um, he gets a, a chance for a fresh start and has a chance – you know to win the one a role, even if he's not going to be a true bell cow, you know we know he has the talent, but if he has a one a role somewhere else where there's opportunity, I mean we've already seen him do it. He's a top five, probably a top five talent in the in the n f l in terms of just being well rounded and and able to do everything um in any game situation or any game script so that's that's a really compelling point um I did state February because I wanted us to basically do you know kind of our post super Bowl rankings here. And before the free agency cycle and before the rookies um, start to enter the team picture, but that didn't prevent rookies from, from entering the team picture. We're seven deep. We're going to go a little quicker through the back half of these rankings. After Jonathan Taylor, we see another 2020 rookie. One of my favorite prospects in this draft class, I think could, you could actually maybe even draw some comparisons um, to a Kareem hunt in terms of um, just being balanced and pretty good at everything. It's JK Dobbins out of Ohio state gets a perfect fit in Baltimore and an RPO based uh, run offense that perfectly mirrors what he did um, with Justin Fields last season. I've got Dobbins as my number seven, Scott, you've got him at 10 and Sean nine. So we're, we've, we've kind of got him in that, that probably third tier of running backs. Um, there's a great deal of agreement here. He ends up number eight in the composite. And then we see a 2021 prospect actually had nine overall. This is really interesting that, that we went there, but Scott and Sean both have Travis ETN, at number eight overall, and I've got him at 10. So Scott, I'm going to kick this to you because I know you've you've um, been on ETN for a while. You know, if you look at our road of His Debbie rankings, he's either one or two from all of our rankers, uh, including myself, Travis May, Stefan Laco, and uh, Matt Wisby. So lots of like there. balanced guy, going to be an older prospect would be the only concern here. But what gives you so much confidence about Travis ETN to rank him over the likes of a JK Dobbins when we don't even know the team situation for ETN yet?
2: Um, yeah. So just with him, when I was doing my prospect model for running backs, it had Jonathan Taylor as this extreme generational talent. I think only like Saquon Barkley and, and Christian McCaffrey came close. Um, and then, and then Etienne was right there and he was like well above JK Dobbins, who was also viewed as, you know, this, this terrific, you know, rock solid prospect, uh, and, you know, apparently the number one thing he's going to work on this year in college is pass catching ability. He wants to catch, you know, 50 plus balls this year. I know we heard that with Jonathan Taylor, too, but I, I do think there is a good chance he does it. And uh, the reason why apparently he went back to college was like he he wanted to make sure he's going to be a first round pick. And I could definitely see that happening in him immediately vaulting and, and a team drafting him to be a bell cow in the first round, late first round.
1: Well, if he goes in the first round and gets 50 receptions, he's going to join elite company. And you already mentioned one of those seasons earlier, Scott. It's Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And Saquon Barkley is the only other back to meet those criteria. So um, ETN is going to be in good company there. Sean, any thoughts uh, from you on your aggressive ranking of, of ETN at eight overall next February?
3: Partly this may be the reflection of the fact that I mentioned that league where I tra- traded for Miles Sanders. And I was ready to win the title going. This is a Debbie a, a league that... Our uh, our buddy Wes Huber does, and you know, all set, ready to go. And then Etienne goes back to college, so had to had to make the move for Sanders there to go with Cook. I think everything that that Scott said, Etienne was my number two back in this class. He was ahead of those other guys. It's interesting, I think to hear and talk about wanting to be a first round pick and the depth of this class, if that moved all of those guys down or the NFL GMs were just really not maybe as high on them as fantasy owners are, because based on where those guys were drafted, it almost makes you think that ATN might've been the top guy anyway, might've been the first person out there. You look at what he has done production wise, and then the fact that he's also one of these players with blazing speed. I'm always looking at the running backs who have the production and who have that big time speed. I think that to be a guy who's going to win you fantasy leagues with this play at the NFL level, you need to have those big plays. Now those big plays, you know, may not happen every single game or even every single year, but you want to have that big play ability in your on your roster because when it does happen, then you win. You benefit from it. And so, you know, you can say well Chris Johnson was You know, not a very effective runner when he wasn't breaking off 80-yard touchdowns. Those 80-yard touchdowns were hugely valuable, right? And so I think we want to have those kinds of players. And I was thinking maybe our one hope with Jonathan Taylor is the reason he didn't have those receptions in college is that it's hard to catch a pass after you've taken the first down play 60 yards for the touchdown.
1: (laughs) I love that. I love that comment. Um, That's a great comment. Yeah, Uh, Travis CTN. That was that was a crushing blow to our Dynasty Command Center rookie guy. Actually, he was a. he was a top three overall player for us in the class. Um, we, for those of you who aren't familiar with that publication, you know we we drop our rookie rankings in December um, each year. You know we're we're first in the industry to really put our names to some of these prospects because of some of the early scouting work that we do, and um, from a fantasy lens, I mean, there's plenty of people doing NFL prospect evaluation and trying to project NFL draft capital, but we're already assigning some of the fantasy valuation and dynasty value, and ETN withdrawing his name from consideration. Um, it it really caused uh, some major shakeups in our rankings. And so um, you just reminded me of some of that hurt um, that I've healed from, Sean. Um, the, the next player, number 10 in February 2021 for Curtis Patrick, Scott Barrett, Sean Siegel, it's Ezekiel Elliott. Man, this would be a, a rapid fall. This is the player that we disagree the most on um, in our rankings um, if we look at kind of the spread and one of us even leaving him out of our top 12 so we definitely need to spend a couple minutes on Elliot and then you know the back I think the back two guys that are after him really probably more accurately fall into a tier uh, that is at least seven or eight backs deep so let's get into Zeke Elliot here a little bit Scott has him at 6 I've got him in 8 and Sean's got him at I assigned a I assigned a rank of 15 to any player who didn't get a top 12 score from um, from an individual here. So he's got a rank of 15. He could very well be Sean's number 13 back, but I wanted to create a little bit of space here if we didn't have the confidence. So I'm gonna kick it to you, Sean, first to make the argument on why Zeke's not a top 12 in your ranking set next year. And then Scott and I are gonna try to pull you back, pull you back just a little bit.
3: Yeah, so I think the concerns that most people have about Dalvin Cook and that I probably should have about him are the concerns that for Elliott move him down for me in that he had those very explosive efficiency performances as a, as a young back. And one of the things that we see is that in terms of targeting running backs early, and one of the reasons why it works for you in Dynasty, one of the reasons why those guys are great picks in Zero running back for your redraft team, they're really elite running backs. They come out of college and they put up big numbers. They're very explosive players on a per play basis when they're super young. And then that gets difficult to maintain. So with Elliott, we're looking at someone who is going to need to get more volume to replace this lack of just extreme top-end talent. It doesn't mean that he's not still one of the most talented running backs in the NFL, but those first couple of years, he was absurdly good. And so we look at maybe moving back to merely being good, and then you look at where he is with the receiving value. He had the one sort of big spike year that balanced out the lack of explosiveness as a running back or as as a runner. And then this past year, we moved back away from that a little bit. Now, if we get a little bit of a further decline in terms of that performance with obviously getting up another year in age, then you start to get run that risk of his value falling off very quickly. And so me, a little bit of that rank is I want to avoid the scenarios in which you're stuck with someone who has first round startup value one month and is David Johnson the next month. Now, it probably isn't going to get that bad that fast for him, but certainly we didn't expect Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell to collapse in quite that way either because, I mean, those are fantastic players, right? I mean, they're not guys where people were at the time looking at saying, you know, a year from now, people are going to look at this guy as just a guy. And so I don't think that's what's going to happen for Elliott either, but – with the way things are going with all of the elite wide receivers they have, you know, some people are even in on their tight end. it's going to be difficult to have the type of role necessary for someone of his age to still have this value, unless he again looks like one of the very top backs and I'm not sure he's there anymore.
1: Yeah. You raised some really good points. I especially like the uh, kind of tying it to uh, what happened with, with Le'Veon Bell. Now Le'Veon had, I think the holdout certainly didn't help him. We lost an entire year of uh, productivity from him and what should have been probably the tail end of his prime. Um, and so I don't think we ever got to see all of it right there. I think my concerns, and I, I also am moving Elliot down. I mean, I've got him eight, so he's higher than what you've got him. But really up until about a month ago, he was still my Dynasty RB3. So I'm moving him down five spots if I fast forward you know, seven or eight months from now. Some of my concerns are, I think Tony Pollard's just very good. Tony Pollard looks like one of the most explosive backfield talents in the NFL. If we take his 2019 at face value, he showed us a lot of that in college. Very dynamic player, awesome um, returner, uh, good receiver, um, just looks very good in space. And Mike McCarthy, I don't think he's ever had a back of Zeke's um, talent, but when he's had backs that were relatively close in talent, um, and and what comes to mind is James Starks um, being able to challenge some of the RB ones during McCarthy's heyday in Green Bay. I think Pollard could carve out that type of role, even in spite of Zeke's talent. And so that's why I've got to move down a little bit. The the comments about the passing game, I don't know what to make of them because if if the passing game is good, then Zeke should maintain elite touchdown scoring upside. So even that you know even if he's not going to catch sixty balls. He should be in the team picture, you know, the very small team picture of guys that could score 20 touchdowns in a season, at least in the early phases of his what he signed a six year, 90 million deal. I think it was Um, there's some team outs. I think after year four, you know, we've seen it before, you know, LA snuck their way out of the girly deal at uh, extreme cost to themselves and damage to their cap. So the Cowboys could do that. But I think the Cowboys have one of the best lines in, in the NFL. The Rams have one of the worst lines in the NFL. So, you know, it's very. I think he's a difficult evaluation, and you would have never thought that twelve months ago. But I think it's easy to make a case for the upside or the downside with Zeke. Um, Scott, you're the highest of the three of us at six, but I imagine that still represents you moving him down a few spots from where you've got him today. How do you see the Zeke Elliott situation, and what what's feeding that rank of six for you?
2: I mean, just staring at Sean's 15 right there makes me <laughs> want to move him down uh, a few spots at least. I, I, I do think you guys all make great points. Uh, I also want to say he doesn't have any guaranteed money after 2021. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think Pollard's legit good, like... I, I was just watching his highlight reel and it just like s- seems so insane to see that highlight reel. And then look at how few touches he had. He actually just put together uh PFFs best season this past decade by elusive rating. Um, I, I mean, he's like 210 pounds. So like may, maybe a team could see him as a, a durable player rather than just a change of pace guy too. But anyway, just th- my, my original thinking on Zeke Elliott is like, I don't know, like Tony Pollard really needs to be like the next you know sort of Alvin Kamara light in order for Zeke not to just be a mid-range RB1 this year and a mid-range RB1 next year like you said you know Dallas's offense is stacked i think they're going to be a little less pass heavy this year um so yeah i don't know but i'll probably move him down from from 6 that that feels gross after hearing you guys talk
1: You know, Pollard, I I wrote him up as a dynasty trade target. He's one of my must draft uh, running backs for 2020 in an article I did back in June. He is the only rookie uh, from 2019, only rookie running back to post positive fantasy points over expectation, both as a rusher and a receiver. Um, And we had a number of good rookie running back performances in 2019. So I think it really stands out to me uh, that he was able to do that. And, And I go way down the rabbit hole. If you're interested in Tony Pollard, maybe I'll drop a link to that article uh, in the podcast notes when this episode publishes, but I go way down the rabbit hole all the way back to the year 2000, looking for similar situations where we had a dynamic elusive back in year one, get very limited touches, even potentially backing up an elite NFL runner at the time who went on to later break out and the closest situation. When you look at the statistics, you look at the team situation, the incumbent rusher in front of him, The closest situation I could find, Scott, was Jamal Charles, uh, Larry Johnson. And so um, that's what's very exciting. You know, I mean, you're really kind of, you know, shoehorning him into this uh, evaluation when you do that type of exercise. Um, But there were about seven comparable players, and five of the seven uh, went on to become um, very fantasy viable at at worst. So, uh, you know, I think, I think Pollard's got a bright future. Certainly not saying he's Jamal Charles, but I'm also not saying he's not. So I think that's I think that's going to be interesting to watch play out. Do you want to change your Ezekiel Elliott ranking from six? And if you do, um, what do those changes look like?
2: Yeah, so I, I'm going to take him out of six, and I'm going to put Tony Pollard there.
1: <laughs> yes, this is this, <laughs> no, uh, this is the content that people want.
2: <laughs> uh, you could drop him down to either either eight or nine. Uh, so either. It, like sort of neck and neck with with Jonathan Taylor, you could say.
1: Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the hook. I mean, you gotta say who you like. All right, we'll, What's we'll, your we'll your rankings. Him, we'll 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 put them nine. We'll put them nine. We're gonna put them nine. So that moves Taylor eight, and then Cook six. Cook six, EPN seven. seven. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And I think I want to sum up this Z conversation before we close it out with our RB eleven and twelve. You know. Going back to how we began this discussion and talking about Pollard's potential impact and having a little bit of uncertainty in what the roles would look like, I think it might be reasonable to suggest that Jonathan Taylor and Ezekiel Elliott, if you're a Pollard believer, could have similar roles moving forward, really. I think Taylor could potentially trail an overall you know opp- touch opportunity, maybe the first half of the season as Indianapolis sorts it out. But if we're going to look at both players as having somewhat capped receiving game upside, that there's somebody else in that backfield who is either more talented, better suited, or the coaching staff just wants to deploy in that role, you're looking at Elliott as a player who's four years older than Jonathan Taylor, has a massive um, workhorse score in terms of carry share, but isn't a true bell cow. And why wouldn't you just give the lean to the other player who gets to play on an indoor track every home game Um, and it was also an elite rusher. So I think John, for me, that's why I have Jonathan Taylor, a couple spots uh, above Zeke Elliott. Um, and I think actually now all of us have Jonathan Taylor above Zeke Elliott in our February, 2021 ranking. So to me, this feels actionable. Um, the last question I'll ask before we move on from Elliott is, does this conversation make you guys want to trade? If you have an Elliott share, um, or if you had if I gave you an imaginary Elliott share right now, would you trade Elliott for Taylor straight up? Scott, we'll start with you.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is close, and it depends on how competitive my team is. But, but how you know, at least the, the teams I've drafted this year, um, I, I'd hope to maybe get a little profit. But, but yeah, I, I think that's I think that's about right. Okay, Sean. Well, I I, I, sele- I selected Taylor before Elliot in in a startup
3: this year, I wouldn't do that now. Uh, like Scott was saying, you would need to get some value back. Curtis, you and I took Taylor at the 212 in the startup that we did just recently in a kind of bizarre universe in which Elliot had fallen that far. Is he someone that you would have been a hundred percent in instead of one of the things I think is kind of interesting about Elliot and also factors in a very tiny bit to my ranking is that if you look at some of the auctions, Elliot's value, doesn't rise to the point that some of these other running backs do, which I think gives us maybe a little bit of insight that, that rankings or projections might not. People who own Elliott, I've heard say that they're surprised they can't get more back for him. And so there, there are some other you know, small pieces of information out there suggesting that the dynasty community is maybe not ranking him quite as high as actual rankings suggest that they have him. And maybe even startup drafts because there's always someone who feels like when Elliot falls a little bit that you have to take him because he's such a good player. And that may camouflage a little bit what most people or most people in your league think. If you are the person who takes him in a startup, you might be then stuck having to sell him at a little bit of a discount.
1: Yeah. Or even riding out uh, his son, his sunset years It feels weird to say that. I mean, he's 25 year old back on a six year deal uh, reg- regardless of the guaranteed money. If he continues to produce the next two years, I think the Cowboys will get some pressure, um, to keep paying him and, and bringing him back. I think because we were so active, my cop-out answer, Sean, um, what I have selected Elliot at two twelve over Taylor that late. Absolutely. I would have, and Elliot is still over Taylor in my 2020 dynasty rankings. Again, these are, this is a 2021 exercise. And I, th- and I think I feel confident enough in Zeke being a top five runner this year that I value those fantasy points at such a level. You know, I I'm a player who wants to be competitive every year. I don't, I don't, intentionally punt with any dynasty team and I will scratch and claw and try to find my way into the playoffs with the right combination of upside to win a title, even if I'm nowhere near being a paper champion. And I think f- for those reasons, you know, Zeke is still pretty valuable, but I-, I think it's a fair assessment to say, basically the dynasty community feels like they're driving on ice a little bit when they're trying to figure out what to do with them. I mean, I, I don't really know. I mean, he, he could be anchored in as the RB three for four more years. And I, I think that's like that's a reasonable suggestion that he could end up doing that. You know, we talked earlier about second second contract guys still being dynasty, running back ones uh, into into the future. Zeke Elliott could maybe be like a Steven Jackson type guy where he does lose some of that explosiveness, but the role that Dallas is willing to feed him and the eliteness of the offense, you know, I, something I like to say a lot um, in dynasty rankings is a rising tide lifts all boats. And so it might be that, you know, Zeke Proctor Propped up Dak Prescott earlier in his career, and Dak Prescott props up Zeke on you know the the backside of Zeke's career. So there's definitely still room for an upside view on Elliott, but I think all, all three of us feel like we don't have a lot of traction um, or conviction in an Elliott take, and that's what that's why he slid here. Scott's ranking adjustments, by the way, do not change his overall uh, composite score. So he's going to be our running back ten in February 2021 20, uh, if the season plays out like we're saying in our 11, 12 it really is pretty flat all the way down to like uh 16, 16 different backs were mentioned in this exercise. Um, so I don't want to spend too much time on cam acres. He's 11 and Eckler Austin Eckler. Who's running back 12, only two of the three of us ranked either back. Um, I did not rank acres and Scott did not rank Eckler. So I'm going to let each of you guys have about 30 seconds on why you think cam acres can get there, why you've got him ranked there. And we probably won't say anything else about Eckler cause we've spent a lot of time on him in this pod. So Sean, uh, you've got the floor. Cam Akers is your running back 10 next February.
3: Yeah. Akers is one of those guys a little bit tricky because the situation he went into in college didn't end up being what he had, had hoped it was going to be. Didn't have the efficiency and the explosiveness maybe that we would have liked to have seen from someone who did end up going that early. But when you look at a, some, a player who is athletic, he's young, he's a three down back. The Rams liked him better than a couple of guys who maybe we would have expected them to take and then they've been talking about it really looks like obviously he's going to be the guy now when you hear them talk about we're going to play four four running backs that's not something that you want to hear but he's the guy who could probably turn this offense back around my concern for Dobbins, Akers, and Swift all players I think that you need to have some exposure to because we know that between that first and second year is when you see the increase in value in terms of trading running backs right so when you're talking about Holding the running backs, you have to get some of these guys as rookies so that you can then trade them after their first year. It seems funny to say trade them after their first year, but anybody who has a big season, that value is going to explode. If they have a solid season, the value is going to go up. Even if they have a bad season, you're likely to be able to trade them for the same thing that you paid or in a similar range there. So I think that you need to own some of these guys. The problem with Dobbins, Akers, and Swift is they're going to teams that rank 30th, 31st, and 32nd in terms of expected points through the air, specifically to their running backs. Now, Akers is a guy I think maybe can turn that around for the Rams. And so if he gets the receptions to also extend that running back profile again for the Rams within an offense that could bounce back, you've got a lot of upside there.
1: You know, maybe he can reprise three quarters of what Todd Gurley was giving us. Yeah. I mean, if he puts up 200 PPR as a rookie um, in a role like you're describing, yeah, I, I think it's, it's totally fair to have him there. He, he wouldn't be too far from the top 12 for me. So I, I take no issue with 10 Scott, anything different that you want to add to the the acres evaluation? I think PFF um, and, and you were part of that kind of uh year end prospect work with them um, before you switched over to fantasy points I think Cam Akers was pretty high on PFS list
2: really liked Akers as a prospect especially his bell cow potential and then once he was drafted by Los Angeles with a really good amount of draft capital uh, behind him over a lot of other really talented running backs you know that just raised that potential even more and, and like Sean saying hey you know what did Todd Gurley do? He put together like two of the greatest fantasy running back seasons ever in a really long time. Uh, and and he did it easily. Like, like he was just hitting open holes. It wasn't so much him. And I wonder if Cam Akers can't do something similar and like, okay, if he get, if he's 80% of who Todd Gurley was, the, the, two years before last year, he's a top five fantasy running back easy. And I think what happened is Daryl Henderson burned a lot of people, myself included, that maybe we're seeing Cam Akers at a discount where he otherwise shouldn't be. Uh, and and so just upside is is clearly, clearly there with Cam Akers.
1: Those are really interesting comments. I think I'm going to have to take a, a closer look at Cam Akers as, as he compares maybe to... DeAndre Swift or Josh Jacobs or Nick Chubb in my rankings certainly have all those guys kind of in a big tier. I'm just not really sure how I want to order them yet. And I have a feeling uh, you guys might be in a little bit of the same boat as I see uh, some, there's just so many good young talented backs that I think could enter the back half of this running back one discussion um, on the strength of a a good uh, 2020. Um, The Eckler was our, our 12 and then a few other backs were mentioned. They don't hit our top 12. Um, I had Joe Mixon as my number 12. I alluded to this a little bit earlier in the show. I just think that the Cincinnati Bengals offense is is one that, if we fast forward to the actual 2021 season, is going to be pretty explosive. And if Mixon does get the contract and gets to stay there with Burrow, I think that you know we could end up looking at him definitely through rose-colored glasses um, and, and maybe being a little bit of a CMC light and the type of uh, deployment he could get. Um. Sean has DeAndre Swift as his 12 and Scott had Josh Jacobs as his 12. So yeah, can, yeah. go ahead, man. Go ahead.
2: I'm, I know we're short on time, but uh, j- just real quick on, on Swift. I think the move with Swift is wait until Matt Patricia gets fired and yeah. then try and trade for him. Uh, just a <laughs> coach who likes the running back by committee situation. Uh, Josh Jacobs. I'm looking at this now. Cause again, I made this list like right, right before we recorded, I could see myself moving Josh Jacobs. I think, all the way to like five or six. I want to hear your guys' take. Why do you have Miles Sanders over Josh Jacobs? I think there's an argument to be made to have Josh Jacobs higher, honestly. I know that sounds crazy.
1: So one, I just like the Philadelphia offense so much more. Um, I'm a a big believer in Carson Wentz. I'm a huge believer. I might have been the biggest Jalen Rager fan in the entire industry, Um, really shouting his name from the rooftops um, even as early as two years ago. And um, so I I definitely think they're an offense on the rise and whichever back is there certainly have a lot of touchdown scoring opportunity. I think Philly is better equipped to give Miles Sanders increased receiving usage than for Josh Jacobs after um, day two draft capital on Lynn Bowden Jr. in Las Vegas, who is a a jack of all trades player, certainly could be on the field with Josh Jacobs at the same time. So it's not that, you know, a, a Bowden snap. And a, a Jacob snap can't overlap, but, but the team had ample opportunity. You made this point on a different player earlier team had opportunity to deploy Jacobs in a role like that. And it wasn't until Deandre Washington at the end of the season that we actually saw them willing to treat somebody as a bell cow.
3: Yeah. I think it could be similar talents, but differences in the way that talent is expressed in that if you wanted to have maybe the most solid running back, then you would have a Josh Jacobs. Or if you wanted to have a long-term running back too. To kind of anchor your team, then maybe you would want a Josh Jacobs. I think that for fantasy purposes, and it may just be a little bit my personal preference in terms of the way people score, but I would want more potential for those really big plays and the spike games that come from uh, long touchdowns, that come from 200 yard games, that come from 10 reception games. I think the concerns about him being able to create enough explosive plays and enough. Receptions just make him someone that I think the ceiling is not there for to be ranked in this area. Now, if you were to say he finished like running back 10 for the next five, six, seven, eight years, then that wouldn't surprise me. And you'd be getting good value back on your ranking, obviously, at that level. The other thing I think just is Bowden, and I like to say before some of these points that I'm probably wrong. I'm probably wrong on this, but I think I'm more concerned about Bowdoin for Jacobs than, say, Zach Moss for Devin Singletary. Singletary is the other guy who I might have been tempted to, uh, he was the person I wanted to put in the list. And because of where he is with trade value, I don't think that you can. I mean, someone who's going that much later, even if he has a good season, you're still going to be hard pressed to, to trade him for as much. You have to take that into consideration. But Devin Singletary, a guy I think could pop in there.
1: Yeah, I think Singletary's value journey, if he makes it as an NFL player, is going to look a lot like Aaron Jones, where we just have to see it, and then we have to see it, and then we have to see it again, um, just because of the draft capital and the presence of other backs that make the backfield confusing. And you also, probably even to a higher degree with Josh Allen, have the threat of the, the quarterback taking away valuable goal line looks and also um, valuable third down receptions because of the affinity for scrambling. So um and and that's you know played out probably um twofold versus what Aaron Jones was dealing with 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 Aaron Rodgers. So man guys, this has been such a a fascinating discussion. We got into uh really got into the weeds, but I wanted to show people the thought processes of two of the elite um thinkers in dynasty um and and not even just in dynasty. I mean, you guys are the biggest and brightest stars in in fantasy in general. And so um, I think through this conversation, people have kind of seen what our internal battles are um, and and our willingness even to accept some some arguments or suggestions from each other. I think all of us have tweaked a player or two as part of this exercise. Um, and th- I think that's another important point is that you know, no matter how big of a, a voice you have or how bold you, know, you want to be with your takes or your rankings, you need to be willing to accept um, coaching and show some deference and debate when it's coming from somebody that you respect to the point that it might actually impact your treatment of a player. So we will definitely have to have Sean and Scott back on the dynasty command center podcast in the future. I think this episode is going to be so successful that I, I might shy away from either having uh from having either of you on, on your own ever again, we might just have to do this three man round table uh, periodically um, whenever big news breaks, but thank you so much. Uh, Scott, I want to give you a chance to just plug, your stuff at Fantasy Points one more time. And Sean, obviously give you a chance to talk about uh, your podcast with Comp. So Scott, tell us where we can find your work.
2: Yeah, screw that. I'd rather the chance to to stand for Josh Jacobs. You're forgetting <laughs> uh, Michael Pittman Jr.'s dad who uh, did average 200 plus carries, 90 plus targets across a three season sample with, with John Gruden in the early 2000s. Uh, and also they've just been hyping up his passing down work again, you know, after the Bowden pick, you know, maybe that's unlikely. uh, But, but if he were to see a a massive increase in targets, that would be uh, obviously hyper valuable. And, and Mike Mayock did say part of that was because of, uh, he fractured his his shoulder and played through it for half the season. So they didn't want to give uh, too much, uh, too much work for him, but FantasyPoints.com Scott Barrett, DFB on Twitter. Thank you so much.
1: Sean.
3: Well, it, it's been it's been great to to be on here, and, and certainly, you know, again, if we come at the end of the season and Josh Jacobs is the is the running back one, then you know you'll have heard it from from Scott, and certainly we wouldn't be surprised to be wrong. Uh, this is this is Curtis's show, obviously, but uh, very really appreciate being on number one of the reboot, and uh, really grateful for Scott to, to come on. One of our favorite people in the community, someone obviously who does a ton of great work. We're excited to see how the work there at Fantasy Points develops, that site develops, as you mentioned, should be really, really cool. And, and I've got to say, I, I'm in a couple of, of leagues now with Scott and some, some different startups and looking forward to, to chatting with him. We've got some uh, Gronk, Keyshawn Vaughn trades that we, that we still have to work out. Colin Kelly, I can't say enough about him. I mean, the, the things that are good about RotoViz overtime are good because of Column, and uh, he does so much for our overall channel.
1: Yeah, RotoViz overtime in uh, the offseason continues to post twice weekly on RotoViz Radio. So uh, be sure to check that out. One thing I appreciate about Com's hosting style is so many hosts are quick to agree with their guests. It's something that I, I'm going to challenge myself to do. I think I, I did have some healthy disagreement with each of you at some point today. Com's definitely not afraid to say i wouldn't have done that trade um and I, and I just i love it because it's so it's so refreshing um it's not just a bunch of uh, it's not just you guys pumping each other up every week and i think that 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 adds to the show um for sure so be sure to check out scott's work fancypoints.com um, com. obviously appreciate your support i appreciate your support as we enter the next generation of the dynasty command center podcast i'll be back with episode 54 slash episode two solo style next week and i'm sure we will pick up uh, where this great conversation left off until next time this is the dynasty command center podcast